You're listening to the Sales Process Excellence Podcast with Michael Webb. Hello, this is Michael Webb, and welcome to the Sales Process Excellence Podcast. Some people focus on reaching senior-level decision makers and account management. Other people focus on data and systems thinking. And today we're talking to someone who understands applied statistics and understands sales and also understands marketing. The Sales Process Excellence Podcasts brings all of those things together. And I'm really pleased to have Don Carley on the phone. He's one of the few individuals that I have known over the years who has a thorough understanding of all of those things. So, Don, welcome here. Hi, Michael. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Super. Uh, It would be great if you could go through your background and tell people where you've been in your career and (laughs) what you do now. Wonderful. So I uh, founded uh, my uh, consultancy in in 1980, actually. Uh, been at it for a while. And um, over the years, I've done primarily strategic uh, insight, research, uh, analysis, and strategy for companies like Xerox, Kodak, Adobe, Hewlett-Packard, IBM, and others, um, primarily providing insight to uh, strategy teams, um, heads of business units, and um, you know the the, the leads of uh, sales and marketing organizations within uh, Fortune 500 companies. I've also done quite a bit of work over the years with branding and positioning work for not only Fortune 500 company brands, but a variety of startup and mergers and acquisitions um, brands that face right. challenges in communicating their value proposition. So. I- I think this is a fascinating uh, subject because to me, a sales guy like me, those issues of the brand and the brand awareness are kind of like hocus pocus. And yet I know that you and I both agree on the need to use data and evidence in making business decisions and strategy decisions and investment decisions in sales and marketing. So I want to start off with uh, just sort of a basic kind of a question with the, with the, commonality that we both agree we need data and evidence for making decisions. What does that imply for the proper relationship between marketing and sales? Well, in fact, I, you know, people have often heard the term of the four P's, um, you know, product, price, place, and promotion. Well, there's actually a five, the fifth P, it's sales <laughs> in my world. <laughs> so they're really all part of the, the same thing. I think marketing and sales are really the same in terms of their ultimate goals, but they are measured differently. The, the performance of marketing is measured often quite differently from the performance of a sales organization. And so how so? Well, let's take an example. When we're talking about KPIs for sales, um, you know, generally it's how many Deals did you close <laughs> is what it starts with. Mm-hmm. Uh, in particular, you know, how, how we look at things like lead flow, we look at levels of activity in terms of how many customer or potential customer meetings did you take. Uh, we look at what is the, um, your win ratio relative to the number of opportunities that you've encountered or been presented with. Mm-hmm. Uh, we look at sales effectiveness in terms of you've been given an opportunity, have you been able to close the sale, deal with obstacles and objections. And generally, sales KPIs tend to be things like total sales volume, um, margin retained, 
um, the length of the contract and sure. the average contact uh, contract, the, the sales cycle length. Um, these are the ways we tend to measure sales in addition to things like retention rate um, and, uh, and sales cost to sales volume. Right. Mm -hmm. Mar marketing is looked at across a very different set of metrics. So when we think about marketing KPIs, the measures are things like market share. Well, first, market the, the, the you know marketing is typically tasked with identifying the size of a market, as well as doing analysis of market segments and the characteristic needs that are unmet or underserved in various market segments. Beyond that. They're measured in terms of, well, what is our market share, both absolute and relative, and, and how is our share growing? That's a marketing metric. Another would be measures of aided and unaided brand awareness. Those are not typically sales concerns, but they're very important marketing What does that mean, aided and unaided brand awareness? So in the hierarchy of, of decisions, it, it typically the decision requires that people are willing to consider you. But before they consider you, they typically have to be aware of you. Mm -hmm. So one of the key metrics for marketers is to what extent are potential customers aware of our brand? And, and if I were to simply use the category descriptor for what I'm offering, and let's just say soft drink, that's the category. And I asked you, what brands are you aware of that offer mm -hmm. soft drinks? Mm -hmm. The brands that come to mind are what we would call unaided brand awareness. You know, uh, I'm sorry about that. Brands that come to mind without a prompt on my part are measures of unaided brand awareness. Okay. Fresca, right? Coca-Cola, Dr. Pepper, stuff like that. Right. But if I were to give you a list of brands and say, which of these are you aware of? And you said, I'm aware of this one, this one, and this one, that would be aided brand awareness. Okay. So unaided brand awareness obviously is more valuable than aided brand awareness. Um, beyond awareness, let's, let's assume there are a thousand decisions to be made in a given period of time that could result in revenue to my brand for the purchase of a product or service that I have to offer. Okay. The first question is, to what extent are the people who are going to make those thousand decisions aware of my brand? If they're not aware of me, it's unlikely they will consider me. Right. So the second metric is consideration. Soft drink. Would you consider what brands are you considering or what brand do you consider when you seek a beverage? That's another key metric. Mm -hmm. if, if there are a thousand decisions and only 80% of the people who are likely to make those decisions are aware of me, my market share is capped at 80%. I can't get beyond that. So the next question is, of those who are aware of me, 80%, what percentage would consider me? And marketing's job is to understand the psychographic, the demographic, and use case characteristics that lead to consideration okay. of, of brand. Okay. So that's the so, second metric. And what you're talking about a lot of this is... Um, it's, it's market research. Yes. Uh, when we're selling in large accounts, we have to do sales research, right? We have That's to right. identify who in, the, in that business is impacted one way or another by what we do. We don't know them all. We may need to know some. We need to know about their pains. And there's all sorts of, of um, 
you know, professional selling methods um, that enable you to access those people and develop relationships with those people. Mm -hmm. But you're mm -hmm. talking about at the level of the market. So, I mean, tell me, what's right. the difference between like market research and marketing? So it, it, think of it this way. The role of marketing is to create the map. It's to create the strategy. It's to create the frameworks for action that sales then acts on. And a lot of the research, or what I would call sales intelligence or sales insight research, is in, is in fact confirmatory. I'm there to confirm marketing did analysis of unmet or underserved needs in this particular segment of market for people with the following titles or the following functional roles who have a need for a product you know, that, that we offer. Mm -hmm. My job is now to confirm that. I have identified or I am in front of someone who has that set of unmet or underserved needs. They, the marketing often is doing the same to understand the degree to which there's an evoked set of alternatives to my brand that individuals in that market segment are likely to have in mind. And then marketing often is tasked with preparing the the FAQ, if you will, the the call and response that provides the salesperson with the tools required to deal with obstacles and objections. Okay, so huh? so let me uh, then throw this at you because I think we would be in agreement, but some different language. Um, the goal that we're both trying to accomplish in marketing and selling is to get the customer to take the actions we want them to take. Correct. Make decisions. <laughs> and they those those are uh, along typically they're they're along a sequence called the customer's journey. That's correct. And especially in today's world, there are many many channels and and media vehicles by which the customer can go from having never heard of you before to you know referring you and spending time and money with you mm -hmm. right over a long period of time. There's exactly. many stages in there. There's many, they can go websites, they can go radio, they can go magazine articles, trade shows, you know, referrals. There's just a, a, a plethora of places that they can get information. Um, so salespeople can't be in those places, right? Um, and, and so what I'm hearing you say, and I just want to see if this, if this is mm -hmm. um, correct, is that marketing is sort of designing, you said the frameworks, I would say designing the process that frameworks encourages the customer to move, mm -hmm. right? And then, yep. sale, and then all that's as automated as we can make it, and anything that can't be automated would be what has to be done by salespeople. Is that a fair statement? That's a pretty close approximation. I think marketing has got a twofold role because the role of marketing doesn't end with analysis and research. Marketing does have responsibility generally for identifying, sizing, segmenting, and prioritizing both markets and go-to-market strategies for a brand's offerings. And that entails developing qualitative and quantitative insights about market opportunities, the characteristics of people who make the decisions or influence decisions to, that, that result in revenue, as well as looking at competitive factors, the, 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 the alternate, if you will, competitive frame brands that are competing for those decisions. In the process, we're, we're trying to understand and communicate to a sales organization characteristics of customer demographics and psychographics, occasions of use, the characteristic unmet or underserved 
needs, both rational and emotional, mm-hmm. the factors that influence their purchases more often than not, um, the, the meaningful points of difference for, for a brand's offerings that we can establish not just qualitatively but quantitatively. Okay. And also to be able to establish the most compelling arguments or cre- credibility support arguments that the salesperson can present as to why the feature benefit bundles that we say are so valuable to the customer should be believed. So we're we're tasked with identifying and attracting new customers, getting existing customers to buy more and to refer the brand to others, to develop the branding, the positioning, the messaging, the go-to-market strategies, meaning the different channels we're going to use to manage touch points with the customer, of which a direct sales interaction between an, two, uh, two humans is one touchpoint strategy or one touchpoint tactic. tactic. Okay, so but, but marketing's job doesn't end there because once the lead's been delivered to the sales team, the, there's in very great value to be created through marketing's engagement in addition to, as an adjunct to, the direct sales effort. What, by giving them sales tools or and, by and additional and messaging and in the magazine? Other touch points. Yeah, for, by managing the other touch points, that whether it be the web presence, whether it be a mobile app, whether it be webinars, whether it be seminars, whether it be any, any, any and all of the interactions or touch points between the customer and the brand. Okay. So this, are, is, yeah. this is sounding kind of abstract. To me, can you tell us an example, a B two B example, um, where the company you discovered or the client discovered that uh, they were out of touch somehow, that some of their assumptions were wrong? What kind of research did you do? How did you go about doing it? What did you mm-hmm. discover? What changes yeah. did that drive? And then, what were the business results? That I would so, hear something like that. sure. So here's an example, but and again, it, you know, the the business, the head of the business was looking at key metrics. What's our revenue and what's our market share? And they and, and the business lead understood what their revenues were and what percentage what a percentage point in share point was worth. So if a share point, a, a, a point of market share in a large market could be worth a quarter of a billion dollars. And if you're losing market share, if you can see that your share of market is declining, now you need to do root cause analysis. What what was leading to the share point decline and, and correspondingly the revenue decline? Um, one of the reasons we want to maintain market share is because with leadership market share, either absolute or relative, a brand can spend less as a percentage of revenue on marketing to build awareness, consideration, and other key factors that lead to success than competitors do. Because they already have a more of a mind share because they because because they have market share. They right. have market share. That's the key. Okay. So what we what we had to do was first do root cause analysis to say, is our problem an awareness problem? So we did research. We conducted not only focus groups, but surveys of not a, just a handful, but thousands of current customers and potential customers. So is this to, B2B I, or B2C? B2B. 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 Okay. To, under, to understand, the, the, to measure the levels of aided and unaided awareness of our brand. So what was the industry? The industry was uh, office ser- – think of a company that makes services and products for documents and okay. Uh, printing. <laughs> cool. Okay, fair enough. Okay, that helps. 
have to make so, it a little bit yeah. more concrete. So you had to yeah. call yeah. up a bunch of people, get them into a room, do focus groups. And I know there's and, methods for that and, and the structured. Uh, what kinds of questions were you asking? You're, you were trying to see what? Uh, market awareness? What were you saying that you were trying to do with these focus groups and surveys? So there were there were a number of things that were done. First, we were doing both focus groups and for qualitative insight to understand the whys, but also to, to do quantitative research to understand the what. So at the what at a degree of confidence. So when we're surveying a thousand people who are buyers of office machinery, let's mm -hmm. give an example, uh, copiers and printers, uh, for example, mm -hmm. we're we're going to interview, a, uh, do a survey with a thousand of them. We can now say what what we find can be projected to the population of millions of potential customers because we've sampled it properly mm -hmm. at a nine at a 99% confidence level plus minus 2% meaning 99 times out of 100 if i talk to someone who is interested in buying a copier or a printer they will say the same thing plus minus 2% <laughs> And, and you know that because of sampling theory and statistics. Exactly. Okay. And however, that tells us what they will do, but it doesn't necessarily help us to understand the why. So we use qualitative methods, meaning focus groups, but also now today we have some new technologies that allow us to use uh, surveys that do natural language processing and machine learning to understand the way in the customer's own words, they describe why they would make that decision. Okay. And how does that so, help you? Well, once we've understood that the problem wasn't awareness, but it was consideration, they were they were they were aware of our brand, but they weren't considering it. We had to do root cause analysis. Why are they not considering it? And it becomes down to perceptions of your. We perceive that you have a great product, high quality, but but you're expensive, or your sales force is arrogant and doesn't ah, listen well, okay. or your sales force doesn't understand my industry, hmm. um, or the salespeople um, you know, always want to push a particular over-configured solution on me when all I want is a simple copier. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> and in the end, what we wound up understanding was we had a consideration problem, not an awareness problem. So we knew not to spend marketing dollars on building awareness. Right. Instead, we had to do research on how we could increase consideration for our products. And we also it also helped us to understand in our research where we could encounter people and get our message to them. Mm -hmm. And we found out that we were underutilizing drive time radio. We asked people, you know, if you were when you're seeking insight and you're in that part of the customer journey where you're looking for alternatives, who do you turn to? Peers? Do you, do, you know, do you watch advertising? Do you attend trade events? So we try to understand their preference in terms of channels of information mm -hmm. that they use to inform themselves during that phase of the customer decision journey where they're exploring alternatives. Mm -hmm. we, okay. identified, we identified that, in fact, we could buy drive-time radio spots. And we also developed a message that helped overcome their perception that the, that the offers were too expensive by saying, you know, it wasn't the total amount of money they were spending. That was an insight that we were able to determine, but it was the monthly outlay that they had to make to have that capability 
So we said, through different financing options, instead of thinking of making a $10,000 purchase, it'll be $99 a month. And mm -hmm. suddenly the objection went away because it, okay, $99 a month, I can afford that. $10,000 one-shot capital investment, I can't afford that. Mm -hmm. So we provided sales with so, I mean, we changed the dynamic so dramatically because we had to open up two call centers just to deal with the inbound that was coming from the drive time radio spots. <laughs> and suddenly the sales force was in a position where they didn't, they couldn't complain that they didn't have enough leads any longer. They had all the leads they could handle. Now they had to become efficient at converting consideration to a decision. Wow. That's fascinating. So, mm, does this compare? Because often when I'm working with B2B companies and they come from a culture of, you know, salespeople are very important and the salespeople have to go out and make it happen. And so I ask, and then they're in an environment where the customers are not looking to talk to salespeople. They may be trying to avoid salespeople for reasons similar to what you were describing. And so I ask the question, what would you have to do to make it so that your customer might consider actually paying to get some of your salesperson's time? What kind of repositioning yeah. would you have to do? Yeah. Is that that kind of in the same bathtub, isn't it? It's just, it's it is. In fact, it thing. is. In fact, so think of, you know, if you think of copiers, they're, they're a commodity uh, and, and printers. They're a commodity. Right. And when we did interviews with in, in focus groups, basically the the, the buyers would all say, well, they're just all gray plastic boxes. They're pretty much all comparable. Um, and all they thought that differed was uh, you know, the feeds and speeds and the price. But one of the things we helped them understand was that there was a total cost of ownership. And we developed a business services group that let people do a self-assessment of what they had on their floors today and what it was costing them. And then we were able to take the insight from those self-assessments and tell them how much money they could save. And frankly, not just how much money they can save, but how we could improve their work life <laughs> mm. uh, by taking, by changing their perspective. And instead of thinking of buying equipment, let us servicize it and provide you with a contract that would take the equipment off your books in some cases, take the dedicated personnel off your payroll, put them on our books and mm -hmm. on our payroll, and then deliver a service level agreement that would guarantee the people in your organization would get the number of copies, the quality of copies, the price per copy that were going to meet your business objectives without ever having to worry about whether mm -hmm. A printer was jammed, whether you'd run out of toner, didn't have the right paper, or didn't have someone who could configure a print queue as required. So we changed the, we changed the nature of the sales relationship from a transactional relationship where they're selling a box mm -hmm. to a transformational consultative relationship where the role of the sales executive was to introduce all of these competencies in analyzing the right equipment in the right place with the right capabilities and providing a single source of responsibility for, for the delivery of service. Hmm. 
There's so many businesses that need to make a transition like that. I mean, yeah. I've, I, uh, in a recent conversation, um, uh, with, um, um, uh, Bill Waddell, uh, a lean, um, well-known lean management consultant. I was telling him about a couple of client situations where in one case, a company is a distributor of electronic components, the right. little resistors and capacitors and, you know, the kind of popcorn stuff that you, that you see soldered to a circuit board. And this company is successful and has been around for a long, long time, medium-sized uh, distributor. It's a gigantic industry, but they're known as a jobber because yeah. when certain parts are difficult to find, they've got the resources to go find them and make sure they're not Chinese counterfeits, right? Yeah. Yeah. So their sales force is out there essentially transactional. <laughs> you got anything for me today? Do you have any? Mm -hmm. And they're trying to transition to for a smaller, medium-sized manufacturer to say, why don't you just outsource the entire purchasing of that kind of product to us in exchange mm -hmm. for guaranteed service level, you know, guaranteed, um, you know, cost per part is going to be more competitive. Mm -hmm. Just, mm -hmm. you don't have to have those, just outsource the whole thing to us. A whole different sales process required to do that. Yeah. So, I mean, part of the role, I mean, one of the essential roles of marketing is is to understand the nature of demand, right? Mm -hmm. To characterize the factors that lead to decisions. There are really only two kinds of people in the world: customers and non-customers. <laughs> and and what defines a customer? <laughs> what defines a customer? It's a it's an individual or group that makes a decision that yields revenue or some other form of compensation to your brand. So. Yeah. Business is about decisions, and marketing is about understanding where decisions are made, why decisions are made, how decisions are made, and providing insights about those processes to the sales force. The sales force is kind of like the infantry in most cases, mm -hmm. right? And marketing plays a dual role. On the one hand, it's doing aerial reconnaissance. It's you know got satellite spy satellites in the sky and it's looking at the landscape and the movements of troops and backstage logistics and mm -hmm. all of the things that make it possible for the you know the the individual who's at the facing the customer to be successful. So I've we've all heard of uh, large companies who ultimately they decided they had to do. You know, they have to improve the brand somehow, right? And so they spend tons of money and they go out and do it and it doesn't really have an impact. I mean, that's, I'm sure you've well, heard to, my, to the To the point, again, in many cases, the, the science of marketing is not applied. Instead, the art of marketing is applied. So talk uh, more I, about I, that. Describe the science yeah. versus the art and why. Why isn't there... Why isn't it always the science of marketing instead of most of the time being the art? Well, you know, it, it, it goes back to um, the, the work of C.P. Snow's two cultures. You know, the sciences and the, the, the liberal arts, if you will, have always had kind of mutual antipathy and, and disrespect for each other. And the marketing disciplines have a lot of creative aspects to them. 
that are rather subjective. Um, however, in recent years, the, the, the science of marketing has evolved significantly. The, the growth of big data, data analytics, multidimensional databases, and the ability to collect information about not only opinions, but behaviors, mm-hmm. not only historically, but in real time, is changing the nature of marketing from one that was historically somewhat academic and retrospective to one that is very much predictive and action-oriented, right? Mm-hmm. So we're now able to give the kind of real-time insight and predictive capability to sales that they could only have dreamed of 10 or 15 years ago. The science of it, it really does come down to understanding what factors contribute to aided and unaided awareness, what factors contribute to consideration for our offer or offers or brand, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what 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 characterizes the strengths and weaknesses of competitive brands in the in the uh, evoked set the set of brands that come to mind when the 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 target customer is considering a purchase of a mm-hmm. brand product in that category and then also understanding optimal strategies for the deployment of resources to maintain awareness and consideration right, through touch points, mm-hmm. and different touch points have different costs associated with them. One of the key metrics we think about in marketing is marketing's percentage of customer acquisition costs. Right? So mm-hmm. if, I'm, if my goal is to build awareness to the point where it's at 80% or better, and consideration to the point where it's at 80%, let's say, now I've, I've got the ability to say I can present more marketing qualified leads to sales and, and the tools required for sales to overcome obstacles and objections and convince or persuade mm-hmm. <laughs> the prospect to make a decision in favor of our brand on a basis that will generate not only revenue but attractive margin. And hopefully through ongoing touch points, both by the sales organization and by the marketing organization in different channels and different ways of keeping top of mind Mm -hmm. awareness Mm -hmm. and reinforcing consideration and trust in the brand to maintain max to maximize customer lifetime value and to minimize customer churn, maximize customer referral. Mm. So you're really talking about um, helping companies to figure out how to, if they need to change, and then how to change how they go to market. How to best deploy resources to maximize the return on investment, whether it's a marketing dollar or a sales dollar. Well, and and so channels in markets. I mean, that's a that's a huge um, issue. You have people who grew up selling through channels. And you have people who grew up selling direct, and those two guys do not understand each other. Right? Yeah, they do. And you know, in, in in the years that I worked with Xerox, of course, we had a very uh, significant direct sales organization. We also had a fairly well developed channel. Right. Well, that's common. They have them both, but they're two different yeah. divisions. Right? And they often conflict. <laughs> yep. They're off. And in addition, we had developed some rather unusual. Um, approaches to marketing where we were selling to the brand on the one hand through 
industry marketing, but then we were also selling to the commercial printing industry, which was using the same equipment to do what, is, what was called print for pay for the brand. Mm -hmm. And again, another potential source of conflict. Marketing's role was to understand the nature of conflict and, the, and to develop strategies for minimizing channel conflict so mm -hmm. that we could maximize the not only awareness of our brand, but consideration from our brand, brand loyalty, and referral. We were always looking at key metrics for levels of customer satisfaction, but also net promoter scores, to, as, which are an effective proxy for referral. So, so let me throw this question at you, and then we'll probably uh, have to wrap up. There's just so many neat things to talk about and so much curiosity um, of all the different ways of, 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 of making things um, better, making your marketing and selling more effective. But one of them um, clearly is getting voice of customer. What you've been talking about is these ways of doing surveys and focus groups and, and other kinds of research, um, which is about, you know, what do these customers want? I've long recommended to clients that they need to utilize every stick and stitch of VOC that is in the business. Traffic to websites, you know, calls into a call center, uh, right. return authorizations, yep. um, customer service calls, but exactly. even salespeople. When they're Even out sales visiting people. customers, yep. they're learning stuff about the customers. And often companies have tons of VOC around, but they're not really using it. Yeah, it's unstructured. So part of there are two kinds of data in the world, structured and unstructured data. And unfortunately, much of the information that sales, salespeople gather is unstructured. And if you, if you think of it in terms of structure and unstructured, if, if I ask you an open-ended question, like, tell me about your day, mm -hmm. you could go on for an hour, mm -hmm. and that's quite different than if I were to break down what I believe with a hypothesis of what the key activities in your day are and ask you multiple choice questions for each of those things where I could assign up a quantitative um, metric mm -hmm. to your answer. Mm -hmm. So I've won today. The innovation that is going to change the game is the ability to apply natural language processing and machine learning to unstructured data. And to give you an example, um, I, I recently did a study for a, uh, a Fortune 500 company that was entering the e-commerce distribution channel for its products. They had never done that before. And it raises whole new questions about how the product should be configured and packaged and priced. And typically you would do focus groups with maybe 20 or 50 people, and, and then you might do a survey. Um, but a focus group is qualitative. You, can't, you cannot project what people say in a focus group with any degree of probability to a population. All a focus group or a one-on-one -on -one interview that's unstructured tells you is something is possible. It's possible. Mm -hmm. But I can't tell you how probable it is mm -hmm. until I have a sample that is using a structured methodology of somewhere in the order of 130 or 140 people. Okay. Now I can say nine times out of 10, we will encounter the same response or the same behavior plus minus 6%. 
that's better than tossing a coin, which oh, yeah. is what you have when you're dealing with anecdotal or qualitative information. All it tells you is possible. And you can toss a coin as to whether it's more or less possible. So, so you're talking about this, you're, you have to put some structure into it in order oh. to understand this, and, this voice of a customer, right? And in fact, what we used is a new kind of tool that allows us to ask an open-ended question. What, for example, what distinguishes a quality product versus a non-quality product? Mm -hmm. The salespeople initially said, we're not getting sales because our customers don't perceive us as having our brand as communicating a quality product. Mm -hmm. And when I asked the salespeople, then fine, please explain to me. What do you mean? They got their explanation. Instead, I asked 2,000 customers. What, in your own words, distinguishes a quality product from a non-quality product in this mm -hmm. category. Mm -hmm. And they use their own language. Now, subsequent to making a statement, a natural language processing algorithm looks at what they say and analyzes it in terms of its semantic characteristics and emotion. And it categorizes it into groups. And then in the time it takes them to put the dot on the end of the sentence, it presents them with four or five other statements made by other respondents to the same question in their own language and says, to what degree do you, to what extent do you agree or disagree with the following statement? Mm -hmm. When I do that 250 times, I can now say not only is this what people might say, but I can tell you at a 90% confidence or support level that nine times out of 10, people will agree that this describes a quality product in their own words. That is a quantum leap yeah. in terms of being able to capture voice of the customer in vernacular, in their own words, but in real time, in the matter of a day, to be able to quantify the degree to which there's a consensus that that opinion is representative of nine, time, nine out of ten of the people I'll encounter in the entire market. My goodness. I, I just, I think of... All the thousands of salespeople this very moment who are banging the phone, making cold calls, and they can't get people to talk to them. And you just described talking to enough people in one day and having a machine help conduct the conversation so you can extract a lot more learning from and, it. And the conversation today, we can do that with a chat bot. So with, to the consumer, they're on their phone. And it looks like somebody sending them a short text, asking them a question. And in 140 characters or so, I ask them to describe in their own words how they feel about something or what, what the reason is for doing something. And within you know, a second of completing that statement, it presents them with five or six other statements or four or five other statements made by others and says, to what extent do you agree or disagree with this? That quantifies it. In yeah. addition, let's say two people said something similar. Now, I also present them with the two statements, and I ask them, do these two things mean the same thing? So I'm not only able to quantify the level of the support for a given statement, but I'm able to use machine learning and this kind of rapid feedback to do something called to disambiguate, okay, okay. <laughs> to, 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 to distinguish whether two different statements actually mean the same thing or whether they are two different statements that mean two different things. Wow. In, but again, in the mind of the customer. And what that helps the sales force understand is that, yes, what you learn when you talk to five or ten people or your best customer is important. It's a possibility. But now we can 
plug that into frameworks for analysis that allow us to assign probabilities to those things. And when you have better probability, you have better predictability of outcomes. Wow. So, Don, we, we're pushing up our time limit here uh, against the end of it, but there's just so many more. I want to ask you so many more questions on this. Could we perhaps uh, get together again and, and like, take these, some of these ideas and kind of drill into them a little bit more? Would you be open to having another podcast? Be my pleasure. That'd be great. So, so if someone wants to get a hold of you, um, do you have a, an offer on your website or a, a, you know, how, how can someone get a hold of you? So the Nima Hunter, Carly at NimaHunter.com, N-I-M-A-H-U-N-T-E-R.com. And Carly uh, my, is C-A-R-L-I. C-A-R-L-I, right. correct. And my, my Twitter handle is D-Carly, D-C-A-R-L-I. That's always easy. And uh, so they can go to the website. There is a form they can fill out there, but they can also reach me uh, at Carly at NimaHunter.com or uh, via uh, LinkedIn or Twitter. Uh, all those work. <laughs> ah, that's super. Well, I want to thank you very much. This has been very uh, enlightening, and I want I want more. <laughs> so, <laughs> my and I know my audience would too, so thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. The Sales Process Excellence Podcast is sponsored by Sales Performance Consultants. Discover how to improve your B2B sales with systems thinking at salesperformance.com. <laughs>